0: I, I wanted to um, just spend a few minutes to talk a little bit just very briefly about um how today and what we've been doing today fits in with a with a, a bigger picture of what I what I what I would love to eventually to be part of creating. Um I don't know how many of you know much about my personal story, so Alice said that I've been meditating over 30 years and I've been a nun for over 20 years. And um, most of those 20 years, I was living in a community of monastic monks and nuns in England. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could go on for a really, really, really long time about some of the blessings of that, of that community and the training that I received. And the, the Grand Master, Ajahn Chah, You probably have heard about him through Jack Cornfield and Ajahn Sumedho. He's been my teacher since 1979, so you know I have a real um, gratitude for his excellence, his um, extraordinary wisdom, and his versatility in the people and the way that he taught. Quite remarkable. But having lived through what I've lived through, I realized that, you know, one of the things that we're having to navigate is, is, is that, in the same way that I've had to see that I got kind of stuck in my own identity as what a nun was, and when I was um, having to look at, you know, the contemporary situation I was in, it caused some cognitive dissonance between my idea and what was reality, what was actually happening, or what needed to shift, you know. So, for example, you know, it's written in our tradition that we're allowed to have chocolate and cheese after midday, so that's considered a medicinal allowance. And, you know, people keel over on the floor when they think chocolate is a medicinal <laughs> allowance, you know. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the sagely wisdom speaking of <laughs> <laughs> But the reality is if the only dinner you're allowed is to have chocolate and cheese, um, it actually causes problems. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, with some of the health problems I've had to navigate over the last few years, it it was the opposite of what I needed. I needed actually something that was nutritional, something that was supportive. And so, in trying to work out what was the best thing, I came to the decision myself that um, if I was needing to have food when I was not well and I was sick and all this stuff, that it would be good to eat something that would actually be supportive rather than to make it worse. But just that one little tiny thing was like an agony. I mean, I can't tell you the kind of machinations in my own mind of what I went through and thinking about all of that. But there's other areas where, you know, as nuns, we have or I have solidified around certain ideas about what it is, and that's in, in kind of um, dissonance with where we're at culturally and what makes sense for what's going on in, in, in our contemporary society. Now, when you've got a, a community of monastics that are living together that have kind of a support system that, have, that, are, that are designed to keep those rules intact, there's a buffering system that they have so that they, they, can live, they can live like that, and it works. But since I've been back in the United States, which has been three years, most of the last three years I've been living on my own. And living on my own, I don't have a buffer system, and I don't have anybody who's kind of there to help support me so that I can live those rules exactly the way we live them in the monastery. And so, and I have been aware of the kind of challenges that people are navigating with the level of busyness and overextended and time commitments and pressure and all of that. So for me to ask the lay community to support me in the way that I was used to in the monastery would cause more stress rather than a sense of joy. So I've been in a a tumbler for sure, trying to figure out, well, how does this make sense or what does this make sense? So... There's a couple things that I want to talk about. One is, is is that my own personal process has required me to do inquiry in ways that I would have never have been able to do if I was living in the monastery, okay? Because the monastery is kind of insulated from being able to do certain kinds of inquiry because it's actually set up to protect that it stays the same, All right? The other thing is, is is that when I came out of England, you know. There's so many blessings of what I experienced, but also there were some things that really were not so wholesome in terms of the disparity between the monks and the nuns, and also by the way that the, the lay community, no matter how elder, or how wise, or how much depth of experience, there was no way that the lay community could input into the wisdom component of the monastic community. So while the monastic community was an oasis for everybody, the power was held by the monastics. And, you know, after 20 or 30 or 40 years, then the lay people began to feel as disenfranchised as the nuns did because their wisdom, there was no place for it to be included or honored. So I came out of England with a longing to create something that made sense. And for me, something that makes sense means that it's harmless, that it's not going against my core values, that I don't have to... um, forget the things that I know in order to be part of it, in order to fit in. Um, That, you know, there isn't an intentional, there's there's a deliberate intention to release the external structures that cause disparity between genders or whatever, and also to release internal places where this stuff is actually holding, and to find a way to um, incorporate the wisdom of of uh, lay community into a leadership model and the kind of the vision is to create a Dhamma village you know so I have been living as a monastic for the last 22 years now and so I value this but I don't live in isolation and part of the reason why I feel very strongly that the monastic community doesn't really hasn't really started to thrive in this country is because the model that I came from doesn't really fit very well here. When the power structure is held entirely by the monastics and there are certain disparities that are kind of non-negotiable, it's like people look at you and they say, really? (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) And so I think uh, these things need to be renegotiated. So, you know, what I'm interested in is a Dhamma village that's not just for monastics, a place that absolutely allows supports and encourages monastics to live and to train and to be there in their (coughs) fullness. But the whole place is not based on only meeting their needs at everybody else's expense. You know, To create a place, a village, where people who are families, who've got kids, who are doing all the normal things that everybody's doing, can participate when their commitment is to wake up and be part of a larger community of people who are interested in waking up. Now, being an Aquarian, I am a missionary. You know, I am not somebody who can come up. You know, the Buddha was not an Aquarian. He was very practical. And so, you know, he has all kinds of real clear steps. I don't have clear steps. I've got huge visions. And so it's taken me a couple years for me to realize that Well, there's no way that I can do this on my own. This is something that is going to happen only if there are people who feel that this is going to serve a really important need of theirs. Okay? It's not because it's a good idea of mine. It's going to only happen if people really feel this is important and they want to make it happen. And until that arises, until the conditions arise where people show up where they want to make it happen, then my job is to live as a solitary nun, with the kind of um, with a a suitable amount of integrity to the precepts that I have but with as much peace as I can muster. so you know one of the it's been a big journey transitioning from being embedded in a community of monastics to being a solitary and you know it it hasn't you know, easy has not been on the ticket for most of this journey, but I am feeling an increasing sense of well-being and joy and confidence and ease in myself. And so it's like, you know, here I am, and I have no idea whether, whether this vision that I have is actually going to come to fruition, but it feels like it's for me to speak about it, it's for me to write about it, it's for me to teach in ways that are congruent with it and and it's like you know, I offer it up and see what happens you know so, you know, I live in Colorado Springs and um, which is a highly unlikely place for a Theravati bhikkhuni to be living and you know, that's been up in the air for questioning for a long time but my dad was there, he passed um, he just passed a, a couple months ago in fact, Friday was the 100 day anniversary of his passing and so I have um, poems that he's written. I left them on the, on the um, table. It was a very meaningful poem for him. And so, you know, as a way of sharing merit with him, he would love it for people to have that poem and to read that poem or to share it with others. So, um, so I guess I'm sharing this because, you know, for me, you know, you, you've gotten a little bit of a window into me. And the fact that though I have very classical training, I'm not limited by narrow boxes and definitions of things, I'm interested in finding a way to bring this practice into the whole of our human experience, which parallels my own experience, which is that you know, I was very focused on just using the insight meditation practices and had this absolute conviction that if I did them long enough and hard enough, that there would somehow be this kind of voop-voop and everything would integrate from that. And I had to come to the sobering realization after 20 years of really dedicated practice um, that I needed other resources, I needed other tools, I needed other approaches to get a handle on some of the stuff And then because my focus was looking at the suffering and finding a way to resolve the suffering, after 20 years of clear, solid, absolute, dedicated commitment to uh, Theravada practices, I opened the doors up to other modalities. So my basis is, is, is that my primary interest is whole life awakening, you know? And addressing suffering where it is experienced Rather than limiting it to the kinds of definitions that we see in in particular scriptures or particular texts, so the model that I'd like to develop is a whole life training model that's not only interested in the classical teachings of the Dhamma and the Vinaya, that will be a core, but also on uh, communication skills and emotional development, uh, subtle energy stuff, you know, subtle energy medicine as a way of, of and, and creative and physical expressions of you know, things like that. So this is the kind of stuff that I'm sitting with and curious about and wanting to do some more writing. And I have been wanting to write for the last several years, but you know, my life has been you know, filled with caring for my father and my own personal illnesses and the Waldo Canyon fire and having to evacuate and now more recently my father's passing. And so it's just been one thing after another, and so I haven't had, like, it hasn't been the right time yet to really do the kind of writing that I've been hoping for. But I'm getting closer to the time has come, you know? Getting closer to, it feels like it's more like that. So I'm saying this um, just to let you know where I'm at, what I'm thinking, you know? I Naked is my favorite way of being, you know? If I just put it out there on the table, people can figure out for themselves what they like and if they don't. Deception. It's like, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> you know, I just put it out there and people decide for themselves. So this is where I'm at. But the reason why I wanted to tell you is because, you know, what we did this weekend for me is absolutely very much part of what I see uh, as um, potential for evolving. You've got... Um, many different modalities to have access to in a, in a kind of a container that's not chaotic but holding to be able to draw from them in order to have more um, access to different kinds of ways with the same material Yeah. yet yeah, very much rooted in essential teachings so um, yeah, there it is when did you say you were moving to Santa Barbara? So, you know, a couple of years ago, I came on a tour through the California, and I was determined I was coming. I've been thinking I'd be coming back to California. I mean, I figured it was just a question of time, you know. But in order for me to come back to California, I need a group of people who are happy to have me back here and, and, and a place where I can live and an interest to help Take this to a next level. And so, um, you know, think about it. <laughs> you know, think about it. <laughs> where do you do your writing about these concepts that you've just described? Say again, where? Where you say you've been writing about it. No, I've been wanting to write about it. I haven't yet done any writing. And so, you know, I've got a website and a blog post. I just put two blogs up last night that I've been working on for the last two weeks while I've been on the road. You can read them if you'd like. There's all kinds of stuff on the website, talks and guided meditations and things like that. Um, All of it's available to be downloaded for free. You know, so I give, and that's what I do. I give. And Sunday morning is an interactive inquiry. So I wasn't on an inquiry this morning because I was here, but Elliot and Gabrielle and Gary, you can talk about what that's like. So Sunday morning, you can pick up the telephone and join me. And so, and and you know, if you can share what that's like, because you were part of it, you've been part of it. Yeah, every single week for uh, an hour, uh, we all get on and it works out really well. It's a, it's a conference call, and uh, Skype is available for it now. You think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, we get people from all over the world that call in and, and share about their practice and uh, you know Amma has certainly put my attention where it needs, needed to be in, in of some situations that I was in and I found it incredibly helpful uh, yeah it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful palette of many different people from many different areas so that's available you just go to the website and that information is there it's, it's on the website. calendar Yeah. so like today I wasn't on it because I was here so you know if I'm teaching on the Sunday morning I'm not there but other people are gathering still anyway so it continues and um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah Could you elaborate a little more on your vision of this dormant community? Like what it would look like, you know? What would you do? Well, you know, if I had a magic wand, like really a magic wand, go loop, loop, I would have probably at least 500 acres, probably more like 10,000 acres. (laughs) And I would have a village that would have a whole section that was a monastic community that was supportive of them. And then there would be everything else that you need for life. There would be medical centers and childcare centers. There'd be hospice centers and aging centers. There'd be schools and universities and places where people were growing food. And there would be, you know, stuff that you needed, basic stuff. So that the place was like a self contained village, you know, with everything there that you needed. My love, though I don't know how on earth this this would work, is just that it would be based on Donna. It would not be based on money. It would be based on generosity. So what I would need is to have people to figure out how on earth would something like this actually happen. You know, I don't know. As a monastic community, I've lived like this for the last 22 years, so it works like that for monastics, but I don't know how to do this as a village, okay? But my idea is is that the people who are living there are committed to waking up, and there's going to have to be an agreement of some kind of basic standard of, 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 of precepts. So, you know, the five precepts can be, would be pretty, pretty much like we'd have to agree that the people who are living there are going to have to live like that you know, but the, something basic like that. And then how it all works and how it all shapes. You know, for me, what I'm looking for is some senior people who feel really, um, that this is not just like a nice idea, but absolutely of vital importance to hang out with me and figure out how to move forward and what it looks like. Because I know I can speak about it but as soon as people start coming in and really are committed to it I have to let go of it and 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 have have it take its own shape based on the input of the people who are committed to making it happen you know But what I see is is that people's lives are fractured and fragmented and all the rest of that and it's like, I don't think it has to be like that, you know? I absolutely don't think it has to be like that. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from living in the community in England is, is that even though the work that we did as a community of sisters was just um, incredible, in, in, incredible to be able to come into congruence and cohesiveness with the kind of stuff that we were navigating, we did it. And as we did that, then the safety that we experienced with each other became a tangible force that we had more ability to trust and relax into. And when you're living in proximity with people who are, have the ability to do that kind of work and create that kind of safety, you've got a resource that is absolutely invaluable. It is so incredibly precious. Because then it's no longer just about you figuring it out by yourself, but it's like you can relax into this fabric of relationship that has intelligence and sensitivity and is responsive, whose main purpose is to support waking up. And so when you're in relationship with people who are like that, it's incredible what can happen In terms of the layers of integration and in terms of the kinds of places where we don't want to go, in terms of holding safety, in terms of the potential for creativity, it's incredible what can happen. It's also incredible how complicated it can be. So it takes a lot of skill. It's not just a question of everybody getting excited by a good idea, but feeling the willingness to stay committed through the challenges that emerge in order to move from the kind of natural progression which is everyone falls in love with the idea then falls out of love with the idea and then hangs out long enough to mature into the kind of wise um, considered response of what it is to be grounded people wanting to wake up and living in relationship with each other doing that with the various different aspects of our life you know not just for white people <laughs> you know? not just for middle-aged people for everybody you know, who has that same commitment or interest you know? so open up the diversity now, from my own perspective when the Sangha was the centerpiece then the diversity naturally happened what's happened in this country is the Sangha is not the central piece so the Vipassana Insight Meditation has been extracted from the monastic culture, and that's become the centerpiece. And now they're fighting to try and bring back diversity. But when the Sangha, when the monastic community was the centerpiece, we didn't have an issue with diversity. Diversity was sort of inbuilt into the system. You know? Like, ideas. I'd be curious where those pad lands. Yeah what it feels like, whether you have a sense of whether that's important or not, or what your, what your heart is longing for. But we're not going to really have a time to open up this conversation because we're already at 3 o'clock, and I wanted to do um, just a closing meditation and sharing the blessings. Thank you for listening.